Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. I'm really excited about this message, and John is right. This has really been percolating in me, and I feel like that I'm just getting this download and revelation of, of the kingdom of heaven. And it makes me so excited because when I begin to apprehend all that Jesus did at the cross, I'm telling you, it's like I've got this lion on the inside of me that's like roaring. So it's really exciting. And uh, I actually put together a PowerPoint presentation for you today. And, uh, but I'm not going there yet. I'll get to that in a minute, but I hope you like it. So this is going to be like a real teaching and we're really going to use our Bible um, whoa, whoa. So I want to talk to you about, now last week I talked about a, the culture of prayer and, 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 the, and how the kingdom cannot run without a culture of prayer in your personal life and our corporate lives. And so the kingdom of heaven, it's like the engine of the kingdom is a life of prayer. Without a life of prayer, forget it. It does not work and you're stuck in the earth, and you're stuck in the things of the earth. And so there's no ascension without prayer. Amen? All right. So um, in this kingdom, how many different kings is there? There's one king. He is the king of kings. You, he, when he says he's the king of kings, he's talking about you. Because he made us, the word says that he made us both kings and priests to him. And so we are those two things, those are the two offices. That's how we flow. That's how we roll as both king and priest. But he is the king, and here's the beauty of, of the kingdom. It is not a democracy. And so we think... As, as my spiritual mother says, you don't get a vote. You don't get a vote in the kingdom. He tells you what to do, and you just say, yes, sir, and you go do it, right? Right? So no votes. So I want to tell you a story because when I was first saved, and this is kind of the beauty of the Lord and the mercy of God. When we're first saved, he sees us as we are. We're these young, immature Christians and we don't quite have it all figured out yet. And we hear from him and we think, well, I'm not even sure that you really said that. And then he sends all of these people to tell you what he said and to repeat it. And you're like, well, okay, that's kind of weird. All these people are saying the same thing I think I heard in prayer. And so when I was first starting out, the Lord said, I want you to build this house of prayer. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Who wants to do that? I want to go do the fun stuff. I want to go, I want to go save the lost. I want to go prophesy. I want to go build things. I don't want to do the prayer thing. I mean, I'm just being honest, you know. I, prayer for me was a nap. You know, I get into prayer and I was like, okay, I have my list. How many of you started off in prayer like with a list? Like you had your list and you're like, okay, God. And it was basically you begging for all that you needed in order to keep you out of pain. I need, okay, I need a new car and my husband needs to make more money so I can go to the mall. And so I had my list and it was all about me. And um, so the Lord kept saying, I want you to start a house prayer. I want you to start a house prayer. And I'm like, I don't even know how to pray you should probably go and give this to somebody that knows how to pray because I don't even know how to pray. I love the house of prayer. I love to go to the house of prayer, but I don't want to start a house of prayer. So this went on for about two years, right? I just argued with him. And then 
Another two years ago, and then uh, uh, some of Lou Engle's people came, and we all prayed together, and there were city leaders, and we thought, oh, this is really good because these city leaders are going to do the house of prayer. So we were all getting together and praying who was going to do the house of prayer. And they all had, like, international ministries. So I'm thinking, this is my exit. This is my exit. We're not going to have to do this at all because they are much more capable than we are. You know, nobody knows us. We don't even know how to pray, you know? So I've got this all worked out. So there we are, we're praying. And, and so we're all like seeking the Lord, who the Lord has chosen to do the Dallas House prayer and blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> so we finish praying and they all stop and say, the Lord has said that it's you and John. And I'm like, what? What? So, so after that night, I was like, oh man, what are we going to do? So I said, okay, Lord, here's the deal. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about, I know you've said over and over and over, but I, okay, I'm now going to take you seriously and I'm going to pray about it. So two more years go by and I'm kind of praying about it. But what I went around the city to do is I went around to pastors around the city and I had the whole prophetic history of the house of prayer in Dallas and I would give it to all of these men and I would be like, God, I'm a girl. You know, I, you know, I can't do this. I got these seven kids. They're teenagers. They're driving me crazy. How am I going to start a house of prayer? <clears throat> and I went and gave it to all these men. And, and I was like, you know, Lord, none of these guys are doing this. And he's like, Tracy, I have told you to do this. Now, the Lord was very long-suffering with me. But there came a day... When he broke in and he said, you either do this, very sternly to me. He wasn't like the lamb of God. He was the lion of Judah. And he got up in my face and said, I told you to start the house of prayer. And if you don't do this, I'm giving it to someone else. Okay, John, John, honey, God is serious. He got serious with us. And see, that's the thing. When he said to do that, he was so long-suffering with me because I, there I was, a young Christian, and he's so merciful and, and, and takes his time to bring us along. But there's a point where he says, come on, I have sent angels I have sent dreams. I have sent messengers. I have done everything. Now get on my plan. Get off your plan and get on my plan. Because there's always a plan B. Because God is going to have his way and his will. Period. Right? Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this. So, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. And so there's the kingdom of heaven, and because the Bible says and defines this for us in Revelation 11:15, there is the kingdom of heaven, and there is the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our God. And he's created you to go and make that happen. Because he already did his part. 
He already did what he was supposed to do, right? It is finished. The Bible is filled with basically high fives. The Bible is filled with attaways. He is like, if you do this, then I'm going to give you a reward. And if you do that, there could be trouble for you. And so he very clearly points out in his word what his intentions are. How many of you do that with your kids? You're like, okay, we go in that restaurant. If you start screaming and throwing a fit, here's what's going to happen. Here's my expectation of you just so you know. How many parents do that? If you don't, you need to do that. Okay. I will wear you out. Yeah, I will. Get out that rod. That's all I got to say. So he says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he also says, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? So here's what I want to do. I want you to open up this book. Now, the beauty of the Bible is that the Bible is the testimony of Jesus from the start, from the very first word to the very last word. And what he did is he said, listen, I, this is a history book. Of, of Jesus all throughout the word. There are so many different cultures that are represented and people that are represented. And all of them were just like us. So when you look at these people, you're like, wow, these guys are like champions of the faith. This is incredible. They're just like you. They're scared. They, were, they didn't have courage. They had to fight to get through a lot of situations. But the Lord gave us this as a love letter to us to show us what is possible for us as we live in the earth. And so we're going to go through the story of Abraham, who's a pretty cool guy. He was old. Like long in the tooth, guys. <clears throat> All right, turn in your Bibles to Genesis. Hold on, I have to find it. I didn't write it down. All right, let's start uh, in Genesis 12. Verse 1. Now, we're coming out of uh, uh, Noah's descendants, so, you know, everything's springing up. It's not muddy anymore from all that flooding. And you've got several generations that go by, and lo and behold, you've got Abram that comes onto the earth, and the Lord chooses him, and uh, he says this in verse 12. Uh, so the Lord comes to him and says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then you go down to verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. Okay. So he's like, okay, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. He didn't like say, okay, here's the address. Here's the city. He didn't say that. I want you to go. There was no GPS. There was no map quest. Christopher Columbus had not even come. I mean, I don't know what he's thinking, but back then, you don't leave your tribe 
It was so rare for you to leave the family and the tribe because that's how people survived. It's like having seven kids. None of our seven kids should ever leave our house, right? No, it just feels weird. All empty nest mothers feel like, what do you mean you're moving to the other side of the world? But you're my baby. And so when, 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 they, when they left, think about that. He had no idea if he was going to fall off, if the earth was flat. Okay, let's not even go there, right? <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen? Where am I going? So he goes into the middle of nowhere, and the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to give you all this land. So he ends up settling in Canaan, right? Well, the thing about that is that that's where the Canaanites are. So it's like, I'm going to give you this land. Okay, again, there's, a, there's something there that repeats itself all throughout the word. The land is occupied. They don't leave. You know, you're like, Okay, so I have some bad news for you. This, you're actually on my land. I realize you guys have been here for generations, but it's mine. It was given to me by the Lord. And he's like, God, they're not going anywhere. What's the deal? How many of you have done that? Like, you said this was mine, but it's, it's difficult. You told me to do this, and now I did it. But, you know, I'm getting a lot of pushback on this. So how can that be you, God? Right? All right, you know, I'm, you know it, we're all thinking the same thing. All right, so that was the first command and the first promise. The second command and the second promise is in uh, la, 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 chapter 15, verse 3. So Abram just went the whole thing with Melchizedek. He just fought the battle. You know, Lot has already taken off, and he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. So in verse 15, uh, in chapter 15, verse 3, Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Verse 6, and Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Okay, you have to understand, Abram is old, like real old. Like when he left to go to Canaan, he was 75 years old. Okay, now, all of you understand, when you're 75 years old, what are you doing? You're thinking about retiring. You're like, okay, been doing this for a while. I think I'm going to, you know, I've got, I'm saving up all my money, da, da 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 time to retire. And the Lord's like, no, no, no. I want you to actually move to a new land, and I'm going to do all of this through you. And, I, and, and as, the, as much as the stars are in the sky, that's how many descendants are going to come out of you. And you're like, okay, so now I'm like 80-something. This is not going in the right direction, Lord. Where were you when I was 20? And let me tell you, as someone who's not 20 anymore, you think when you're 20, it's got to happen then, because you're kind of in the me generation, me, 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 okay? But most of the things that God is going to do through you actually don't happen until you're like in your middle age. That is really good news. Can I get an amen? How many of you are, are in your 50s? You know that's true. You've seen life. Okay. 
This is the truth. You will get more done after you're 50 in the Lord than you ever got done from the time you're in your 20s until your 50s. It's just, it's just the way that the Lord does it. And you'll also make most of your wealth after you're 50. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, so um, he says this. He said, at this time when the Lord comes to him, and he comes to him again, and he makes the, the promise again about the child, um, and they're like, well, okay, how is this even going to happen because we were old before, and now we're really old. So he's like uh, 99. Guys, think about that, 99. And lives in the desert. There's no sunscreen. It's like, uh, just get a picture of this for a minute. I mean, we're talking about, there's no dermatology. There's no Botox. This guy, I mean, this, come on. Right? And so he must be looking at this, thinking to himself, yeah, I don't know. Oh, where was it? Oh, my gosh. Something that Sarah said as she's laughing, and, and, and the Lord's still saying, nope, still going to do it. So anyway, she ends up getting pregnant. Um, let's see. Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born. That's 25, and, 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 and Abram was 100, Abraham at this time, 100, when he was born. I mean, I, he probably couldn't even pick him up. You know, he's like, hey. <laughs> right? So, Sarah's 90. This is incredible. This is an incredible promise of the Lord. But you know that his heart must have been so filled with joy. He had waited from the moment that God called him. 25 years had gone by. Now, how many of us can sustain ourselves in 25 years of a promise never coming to pass? Incredible. But I can tell you that that's more common than you would think. And what's weird is that when the word comes, you're like, oh, man, I got to get ready because this word's going to happen next week. And then next week passes and then next year, and then five years, and you're like, that's so weird. God's late. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm just getting started. I am perfecting you. All right, so the third command and promise <clears throat> happens uh, in chapter 22. So God shows up. Now, um, Isaac is now like around eight years old because he had just circumcised him. So he's around eight years old, right? So that would make Abraham 108, right? So it says in, in verse one, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, I want you to know, this guy's already been tested, you know, I mean, he's shining like a new penny. He's done so well every single time, every single time. He just answers, go to the land, go away from your family, go to a land, you don't know it, I, just go. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be like right or left, you know. And so every step of the way, he was faithful. But it's, the word says that he tested him now. 
Verse two, then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The next verse, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. He didn't even wait. He wasn't like, well, I'm going to pray about this for two years. He immediately obeyed. Now think about this. What must have been going through his mind? Because we look at Abraham now in hindsight and we think, well, it's Abraham. Guys, this is a man just like us. Take the promise. You're now, the promise has now come. The thing that you've been waiting for, laboring for, believing for, it's, it's come. And you're beginning to realize the beauty of the promise and you're living with the promise. Whatever it is, it's now beginning to happen. And then the Lord said, that promise, I want you to give me your promise. And what he said to him is remarkable because basically what he's saying is I want you to murder your own son. Verse 8, and Abraham said, my son God will, prov-. Uh, so the son is saying, Isaac's like, hey dad. Now, you know, I don't know, if I was 108, I'd be like, can somebody get me a cart and a donkey because I'm not climbing that mountain. But his son is like, dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says this in verse 8, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide. God will provide. So he's prophesying to his son because in him he knew the nature of his father even though God had just said, I'm going against my nature and my commandments to not murder. Thou shalt not murder. Oh, by the way, I want you to murder. But that's, I couldn't be God because God says, thou shalt not murder. But what did he do? He immediately obeyed the voice of the Lord because he trusted God to do something supernatural. Okay. Verse 9. No, let's go to verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me. Since you have not withheld the very promise that you have labored for in faith, but instead you gave everything to me. And so he said this. He said, you fear me more than you're afraid. You fear me more than you're afraid. 
So what he was looking for is a yes. He was looking for our yes. You see, the kingdom of heaven is above the kingdom of this earth. And his ways are not our ways. So what happens and what I found a lot of times is that I don't understand his ways. Can we put the, um, okay, do I, I swipe right? Okay, woo! Okay, I put this together, so follow behind me. Now, I was really, I'm really excited about this, first of all, because um, I got to draw. But here's what I wanted to show you. You have the kingdom of heaven, which is higher than the kingdom of this world. When Jesus came, he came to save us. And he gave us a picture of that. Went to the Jordan, there with John the Baptist, and John said, he said, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, no, I think you should baptize me. And Jesus said, no, it's so everything can be fulfilled. You need to baptize me. So he gets baptized in water. It's the baptism of repentance. And then he gets up and what happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove and anoints him for the work of the ministry. So there are two baptisms. That's not what this teaching is about, but there's two baptisms. There's the baptism of water for repentance, and there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit anoints us with Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ is not his name. It was his title. Christ means the anointed one. So the anointing comes on us so that we can see with our eyes in the Spirit and hear with our ears in the Spirit. And it says in Revelation 4.1, a door is open to us to enter into the holy of holies. And in, in Revelation 4.1, uh, John is seeing this in the spirit and he hears a voice that says, come up here so I can show you the things that have to come after this. That is not just for John, the beloved. It is for every one of us. There is a door that is open and you can boldly approach his throne of grace and you can hear and you can see with your eyes the things in the spirit. That the eyes of our heart would be illuminated so that we can see and hear. Why? Because he's not finished writing stories of his son. Because his son lives in you, and there is a story that he wants to tell. And he said, it is the Father's will and the Father's word. And I think I have up there John 8, 28, where Jesus said, listen, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do the will of the Father. So if Jesus is saying, I'm only here to do the will of the Father, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? The will of the Father, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Where? Heaven. What's in heaven? God's words. There is the triune God who lives in perfect harmony and agreement. And all day long, he is talking. Okay, next slide. To the right or the left? Okay, wrong. Okay. All right. That little stick person, that's you. Okay, there you are between heaven and earth. Okay, so 
prayer is the key and a culture of prayer is the key to create that open doorway, okay? You're not going to hear God. I mean, sometimes you will, you know, he'll talk to you through like a, a poster or a, a sign or the clock or numbers or whatever. But most of the time, having a culture of prayer is what keeps that doorway open, okay? This is kind of fuzzy, so I'm trying to do the best I can. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, so in Ephesians 4, he tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Did you know that your mind has a spirit, spirit of your mind? Right here. Here it is. You have your spirit. You have the spirit of your mind to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means that the enmity, your mind is at enmity with God. It is an enemy to God. Right? Okay, um, I also have up here, there are two laws. You know how we say, like everybody says these days, oh, we're not, we're not under the law anymore. We're under the spirit. Do you know that's not true? Right, because he said that there are two laws. There's the law of sin and death, which is an earthly law, and there's the law of the spirit, which is a higher law. The law of the spirit sets us free the law of sin and death is death. It'll kill you. The law of sin and death. Okay, when you're in the law of sin and death, guess what that means? Uh, disease, sickness, fear, poverty, and what was that third one? Stress. Okay, thank you. I can't see it. Too small. It's all fuzzy. But the law of the spirit is freedom, joy, peace, and rest. What happens with the law of the Spirit? Turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. Are you guys good? All right, you hanging in there? Does anybody need to do a cartwheel? Yeah, you do. I saw you. You need to do a cartwheel. <laughs> Look at him. He's like pressing into his dad. Ooh. All right, Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus. In the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do we walk? According to the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded. Hello. To be carnally minded is death. Guys, I'm telling you, there is a system in the earth that is no longer going to be applicable to your life. Because God is saying, I'm bringing these things to an end, and I'm moving my sons and raising my sons up to be fully followers of me in the spirit. He, is no, he, is, I, he told me at the beginning of 2017, I'm preparing my bride. You're either on my plan or there is no plan. Those that get on my plan are going to prosper, period. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life 
and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subjected, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Those who are not in faith cannot please God. Faith is like walking on a tightrope without a net. Get over it. It's who we're called to be. We are called to be lions. We are called to be fearless warriors in the kingdom. Come on. But you are not of the flesh, but of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of God, of Christ, he is, uh, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, this spirit cries out, Dad, it cries out, Dad, when you're in trouble and you're young, you're a son, what do you do? Dad, I need help. There is a cry in us when we're in the spirit of fully relying on God, fully trusting God, even when we don't understand. And most of the time, I don't understand You don't understand. Why? Because his ways are higher than our ways. But we know that in the higher way, there's so much more than we can hope or imagine. You can't imagine it, meaning you can't fathom the things that God has prepared for you. All right, moving on. Yes, more people. All right, so this is a timeline. Look at the timeline. They're walking along the timeline. You're in heaven. There you are. You're praying. Every step of the way, culture of prayer, praying. The only way to get through this is to continue to pray. Okay, so God's word and promise comes to you. The door is open. You hear from the Lord, and you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, I know. This is a thing that I've called to do. This is what God is saying. Now, if this is possible, it's probably not God. Because the things of God are impossible for you to achieve. That's why it's not by might nor by spirit, uh, not by power, but by my spirit. Because God likes getting the credit. He likes getting the glory. That's kind of his thing, which is good. All right, so he's praying, praying, praying. All he's saying is, all I need you to do is say yes to me. Just say yes to me. Even when you don't understand. Okay, then all of a sudden, bam, what happens? Natural circumstances begin to challenge the word of God. This could go on for 20 years. Where you're like, nope, got to stand. I'm standing on the word. I'm not getting off the word. I'm going to stand on the word. Sometimes it's shorter depending on what the Lord's called you to do. Sometimes it's longer. But either way, you're going to be okay in the midst of it. Find some people who are fun and keep having the party, you know? Keep enjoying love, you know. That's why he gives us friends, you know. It's like, well, what you doing? Well, I've been waiting for the promise. It's 20 years now. Hey, you want to go some dinner? Sure. Okay. Right? (laughs) Could you pray for me? I'm having a bad day. All right. So what you're doing then is you're continuing to go along the timeline of life, trusting and believing God. Every day you wake up. What do I do? 
I just say, God, I thank you for X, Y, and Z, and nothing in my life looks like X, Y, and Z. Praise you, God. And, and as you get closer to the fulfillment of the promise, guess what's going to happen? That wave against the promise is going to get more severe. It's going to get harder to stand. That's why community, corporate prayer, uh, uh, brothers and sisters and a family of God. God is seeding us into families. Why? So you can get to the place that you're going through to because other people are saying, run, baby, run. I agree with you. Where two are in agreement, they can set 10,000 to flight. And the people in this room have been caused, called to set to flight the very thing that you're believing God for. Yeah, that's good, Tracy. All right, so here you are trusting and believing God. I love what Mike Bickle says. He said, um, I pray until I get to the point where I begin to see God move. When God begins to move, then I know it's time. Then I know it's time to begin to activate the word of God. How many of you have ever gotten out in front of God before? Man, that costs so much money, right? And stress, you're like, why isn't this working? Oh, wait, it might not be the time. I'm not in the time and I'm not in the season. So i got to back this up, continue to pray, and wait on the Lord. But when it is the season, you begin to activate the word and you begin to do the things that God has been speaking to you. And you do it by casting the vision or telling people about the word of God. So you begin to take action towards the promise and you move when God moves. And you keep Praying. Uh, wrong way. There we go. There you are. You're still praying. All right, so what happens is, the, is that um, the fulfillment of the promise comes. And so it says here, I'm sorry, somebody's going to have to read that because I can't see it. It's James 2.22. Oh, 2.21. Okay, I'll have to turn there. So what does it say? It says, James... Two twenty one, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? So faith is being made perfect, and it says in Hebrews 11.4, faith was credited to your account as righteousness. So the righteousness of God comes through the activation of faith. And so the things that you believe and the things that you act on, now God is saying, I'm actually going to accredit this to your account. And here's what I love. It says that the fervent and effective prayers of a righteous man avail much or have a lot of power. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for power in my prayers so that the things that I speak to will become the, the kingdoms of, the, of heaven will be, come down to the kingdom of this earth. Right? And so the, the, the thing that you desire the most is that your prayers begin to get answered. How do you do that? You are a faithful person to do what God has called us to do. That's why he said, without faith, you can't please God. Why? Because he's looking for the righteousness and the righteous people to be on the earth when he returns. Amen? Do you get that? Are we all on the same page? All right. That was good, wasn't it? Hallelujah. All right. Culture of prayer enables us to live out the kingdom of heaven. 
We can access heaven and transform the earth. Number one, we hear God's promise. Number two, we are fully convinced in God's promise. Number three, we stand in opposition to God's promise. Number four, we bring God's word into the earth through action. And number five, we obtain righteousness through our works. This is just, this is like the Romans road faith-wise, you know. It's not the justification and all of that. This is, this is Romans 4. It's so beautiful, the journey that he's called us to walk. And he's looking for faith warriors in this hour. And the reason that I believe he said, will there be faith in the earth when I return? Because everything will come against us. But he's raising up a culture of prayer in the earth and prayer warriors in the earth who will stand no matter what comes against us. And say, no, I believe God. And I just have to tell you, that this whole building project, God told us years ago that we were going to do this. And we just said, okay, well, we don't know how to do it. And I mean, it's just a building, but it's a building to house and to seat a harvest. So it's not just a building. It's a place where people are going to come and they're going to get saved and they're going to get transformed. And so when the Lord brought the money, we had the money for two years, but we just prayed. We were like, well, we'd I don't want to be presumptuous, and, and, but you tell us when. And so several prophets came along, and they said, now is the time. Here's what you're going to do. This is how it's going to happen. And so we were like, okay, well, let's go out and begin to investigate this. And as we did, things began to fall into place. But I can tell you, this was one of the hardest things I have ever had to do. Is every day to stand in this place when everything looked like it was going to fall apart. And every day I would wake up and I would think, all I have to do is, one, not die. Because, you know, you think you're going to die. Well, well, here I am. I'm out here. You know, this isn't happening. It's not going to look good. This is going to be really embarrassing, Lord. I spent all this money. I mean, I'm just being vulnerable with you guys. So there was every day I was afraid. But I thought, I didn't come this far to come this far. And I'm going to stand in this place. And every day I'm just going to keep saying yes. And the next day I'm just going to keep saying yes. Even though I'm afraid, I'm not going to give up. Because he is worthy. He is worthy. And I was like hanging on to that word going, this is what you said. This is what you said. This is what you said. And sometimes they were through tears of sorrow and weakness and calling my intercessors. And we're all like, this is what you said. (laughs) And you just finally are going to get there. You're just going to get there because he's faithful. Even though it's hard He's faithful to finish what he starts in us, period, end of story, 100% of the time. So, Lord, I do. Let's stand. Lord, I do. I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that your word is faithful, and you are true, and you are faithful, and you cannot lie. You cannot go against your word, and that your word is going to work. 
And that, God, I pray that you would equip us to help work your word until then we get to work your works. Father, I thank you that every single one of us have been created by you for such a time as this. And you seeded within us DNA as the end time bride of Christ. And that you're creating in us lions. We are going to be lions. We are going to be the Gideon's army. We are going to be like David and with five stones. I thank you, Father, that you're raising us up as courageous warriors, God. You're building us up in our inner man so that nothing can stand against us, but we will cut the head off that snake and we will put the enemy under our feet. Thank you.